suburban eastern Australia, an environment that has, over time, evolved some extraordinarily unique groups of Homo sapiens. But today, we observe a small tribe akin to a group of meerkats that gather together atop a small mound to watch, question, and discuss the current events of their city, their country, and their world at large. Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. We're back. Episode 394, Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. Not with me because of internet issues. It's got the Velvet Glove. He's disappointed with Optus and is writing angry emails which, given he's got internet problems, is possibly a waste of time, Joe, the tech guy. As a tech guy, was there a point in writing I, nasty emails if your I, internet I, is failing? I think he's using his mobile phone to bind to his laptop, to, so he's got some internet. Yes. Just not streaming quality. No, it's not. So welcome aboard to you, Joe, the tech guy. So I'm not here on a solo show. Thank you for that. It's a pleasure. You were saying, before we were rudely interrupted by the 7.30 start of this podcast, you might be moving to fibre to the premises. Yeah. Um, they, they, I, I got an email. Well, in fact, I got a card through the letterbox from Amy Young going, hey, fibre's available in your area. And then I get an email from Telstra who said, ring us. So I did. Got put on hold. And then an hour later, the call dropped whilst I was still on hold. Of course. And I got another email today, so I texted them and said, call me instead. And they did. And went, yeah, if you upgrade to the 100 meg service, you can have the upgrade for free. And the guy's coming around next week to do the first step. So what will be the change in speed? I mean, in theory, I'm on the 100 meg plan now, although I'm getting 50 odd megs. Mm. And this is a 100 meg plan again. Oh, so that's all. Yeah, I think they do a 250 meg. If I move to another provider, there's some that do a gigabit. Oh, I thought you were going to tell um, me a story of amazing you know, 2000 something. Right. No, 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 it's it's much more about reliability. Okay. Fiber doesn't suffer from lightning strikes. Fiber doesn't suffer from water in the pit. Okay. Fiber is just a better technology. Okay. All right. Enough of tech, well, tech stuff. This is a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. Tonight, mostly religion and race, actually. So Alison's in the chat room. Hello, Alison. Hello to your mum, Bev, who's no doubt watching beside you. Alison, I'm going to be quoting from your Facebook page. I hope that's okay about the census question. So I'm going to be quoting you quickly message if that's not appropriate, but yeah. Maybe I should just give everyone, tell everyone to join your Facebook page and I could cut 20 minutes off my regular podcast if people were to read Alison's, become friends with Alison. So, yeah. If you make a friend request, just tell her that Trevor sent you. <laughs> yeah. What are we going to talk about? We're going to be talking about the Secular Agenda podcast, global land temperatures, little follow-up, the census question, uh, Trump facing a few more criminal court charges, yet another poll on The Voice. And we're going to talk about the voice in the remaining time after that, where I think I'm going to just pick through some statements that people have made. Pretty much the ones where people have said, if you vote no, you're a racist, and, and probably just address where those statements have been made and offer an alternative view. That's my plan at the moment. So Anne's in the chat room. Hello, Anne and Don as well. So and we just let me just change a few things with this screen before I go too much further, Joe, so I can actually... Mm -hmm read my notes and look at the camera at the same time. So, oh, just one other thing, dear listener. I've started a second podcast. This is a really niche topic. <laughs> As you know, I sell art supplies and I've started a podcast called The Art Supplies Experts. So if you want to hear more of me talking about definitely not news and politics and sex and religion, but instead art supplies, Looked that one up and I did one on the colour ultramarine blue. If you're interested in the history and the ins and outs of the colour ultramarine blue, then 
check out the Art Supplies Experts. Subscribe to that and instantly... I'm guessing it's not a panel show. No, it's just me, but occasionally I saw I had a guest on, on one episode, expert from Royal Talons, and I'm getting other art supply experts to interview and talk to. So sometimes just me, sometimes with other people. Yep. So there you go. If you don't get enough of my voice, you can listen to me waxing on about ultramarine blue. Right. So that was that one. And now, Joe, do you subscribe to the Secular Agenda podcast? No. The Rationalist Society? Anyway, they put out another episode of their podcast. Cy is the host of that one. It's sort of an irregular podcast when they've got something to say. Mm-hmm. And on it is our very own Mel and our very own Alison talking about religious instruction in Queensland. So well done, Mel and Alison on that one. Mel was talking about the process of getting the religious instruction motion up at the recent Labor conference. So, so yeah. That's called the Secular Agenda Podcast. Look that one up and you can hear our very own, I've adopted them, our very own Mel and Alison. So, yeah. Shay says, gosh, that is niche. Yes, it is. It's very niche. And Landon, oh, I can't wait for the history of colours. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Joe, last week we were mm. talking about global temperatures. Average temperature increasing by 2%. You looked at the graph and you said, hang on a minute. If it's a global temperature, Mm -hmm. why is it increasing during July and decreasing in December, January, kind of in line with the Northern Hemisphere, if in fact it's a global average temperature? Mm -hmm. I don't know how long I wasted on this, Joe. Trying to find the answer to it. Okay. Could not find the answer, but I'm, I'm surmising something. Okay. Here. Try this one. That maybe it's to do with land mass. So land has smaller heat capacity than water. There is more land in the Northern Hemisphere. About 68% of the land mass of the Earth is in the Northern Hemisphere. And this leaves about 32% of the land mass for the Southern Hemisphere. So the heat capacity of land is smaller than water. So maybe that explains why the average temperature in, say, July is higher because the greater land mass in the northern hemisphere is heating up compared to the smaller land mass in the southern hemisphere. What do you think of that as a theory? We've got two hypotheses now. What's the second one? Well, the fact is that there's more landmass in the Northern Hemisphere, therefore there's more weather stations. Yes. Surely they adjusted for that. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway. So, so yeah, I'm looking both are hypothetically plausible. Mm. Whether it's one, the other, a combination of both, there's another factor that we haven't considered. Mm. But certainly it's very plausible. Mm. Thank you, Joe. That's what I'm going with at the moment. If anyone okay. can enlighten us as to why the daily global surface air temperature seems to increase in July compared to January and December and therefore follows a northern hemisphere pattern for a global average, other than the reason I've just given, let me know. Don't know any meteorologists or climatologists, so. Yeah. Right. Census question. This has been an ongoing issue on this podcast for I don't know how long now is the census question because in other countries like New Zealand, when asking people about their religion, the census is framed as, you know, do you have a religion? Are you religious? And if so, what religion? Whereas in Australia, the question is, what is your religion? And only recently has no religion sort of made its way to the top of the list, mm-hmm. it was previously down the bottom, but it does pre presume a religion. It's sort of a, a framing of a question if you yeah. say to somebody that. I mean, if, if you were to phrase the question, are you deluded? If yes, what is your religion? I, I'm sure you'd get a very different outcome. Yes. Do you believe in that stupid mumbo-jumbo bum, m- shit? <laughs> exactly. If, if so, which, which, ex- which type of shit is which, that? Exactly. Which flavour of mumbo-jumbo do you like? It's all about framing. That's right. Mm-hmm. And other surveys 
you know, suggest a much higher proportion of the population is in fact, are in fact non-believers. The census seems to understate compared to other surveys and those other surveys might use the sort of, are you religious initial question and then which religion? And, and then there's the other question about the whole spiritual but not religious. Mm. And then yeah. atheism being in the religion column as well. Well, as, exactly. You know, which religion and atheism is a choice under which religion. Which, which colour do you prefer? No colour. Mm. So, dear listener, the Australian Bureau of Statistics is, according to Alison's Facebook page, and it is, I did, I did click on the link. They're looking for feedback. So, as according to Alison, as a result of uh, lots of lobbying, the Australian Bureau of Statistics is reviewing the design of the census religious affiliation question and the response categories and wants feedback. One option being considered includes introducing a filter question to understand whether someone has a religion before asking which religion they are affiliated with. However, this would mean that data may not be comparable with data from previous censuses. So the Australian Bureau of Statistics likes to be able to compare like data with like data and track the movement of opinion over time. So they're arguing, yeah, not sure we want to change the question because our comparison of data will be different, may not be as valid, the comparison. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they're looking for feedback. There will be a link in the show notes, hopefully. If not, just Google and you should get there. But hopefully I'll remember to put sharp. Definitely the patrons will get it because it'll be in the printed one. I'll try and remember to put it in. Can, can they do a, a dual survey? Mm. Maybe not in the actual census, but ask people the two questions. So, so pick two groups of a thousand people. Uh, and at random, give them either the original question or give them the new pair of questions mm. and see what statistical bias you get. That's been done. Okay. So the National Secular Lobby paid, I think it was Essential Poll, to do okay. that. And that was part of what had been previously presented to the Australian Bureau of Statistics. But then if we know what the statistical bias is with the questions, mm. they can factor that into future results. Yes. And say that prior to this date, we were asking this question, which has around a, a whatever it is, 10% statistical difference with this question. Yeah. Yeah. Alison says you can, and you can, you sort of go in there and provide feedback. So you're encouraged mm -hmm. to do that, dear listener, if this is important to you. If you're listening to this podcast, it probably is. And she's given a suggestion of what she said, which was essentially getting an accurate answer is more important than, than having continuity. Yes. a bad, <laughs> bad data reproduced just so you can compare bad data is essentially what she was saying. Good argument, Alison. Maybe, dear listener, if you go in, you can put something similar that ultimately having the correct, most accurate data is more important than, than being able to compare bad data with bad data. Anyway. I've already done it. Have you? Hmm. Yeah, you're on the ball. And what did you say? Roughly the same, that effectively we were getting inaccurate results and that it led to religious groups that were minorities being able to claim more influence than they actually have. Mm. And therefore it was not an accurate reflection of the demographics and led to unequal outcomes of, in terms of funding and attention paid by Very politicians good. and other groups. And I've said that it's to be expected that those who are most privileged by the skewing of this data will complain heavily. Mm-hmm. And that they should stand firm against it and worry about the integrity of the data rather than making certain demographics happy. Very good, Joe. Wow, you really launched into a spiel there. Yeah. Good. Yeah. In the chat room, Alison says, there's no point in comparing data if the data is skewed. Don says, I don't need religion as I read comics and already have plenty of imaginary friends. And Jack H says, that's where my mind went, Trevor, landmass, but also the type or amount of flora in the area. Joel says, is it just me or does Trevor look like Goliath from The Chase tonight? I've never watched it, so I don't know. 
I don't know. I have no idea. And don't ask whether we'll be discussing model kit plates. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, this is in your paint expert. Yeah. If you've come in late, I need you to go to the art supply experts and subscribe, boost my download numbers, and maybe listen to the one on ultramarine as your first one. Right. Donald Trump. Joe? Never heard of trouble. Him. Mm. Grand jury has indicted him for multiple alleged crimes in connection it, with his efforts. A, a grand jury of normal citizens. Not yeah. politicians, not members of the Democratic Party, but people off the street have chosen to indict him on the strength of the evidence. Was it a New York? Grand? No, it's Washington, D.C., I think. Okay. Yep. Because he's complaining that Washington, D.C. is a swamp. Yes. Actually, it wasn't it Rhonda Satan who's complained. Well, when you say they're ordinary citizens, they came from Washington, does, are they, does that count still, Joe? So they're not politicians. No. But, you know, Julian Assange, mm -hmm. and with indictments and things, mm -hmm. they, they do that in a district mm -hmm. that is known to be full of, of government spooks and employees. Like there's a high percentage of, of Home Affairs <laughs> Department employees but, but, and things. But also... D.C. itself is a very, very poor area that is, has a high percentage of black people or Latinos and whatever, and actually leans very, very left wing. And, and this is the, the argument against it. Mm. So the spooks and all the rich, gov the, the cushy government jobs live outside of D.C. and commute in. And if you're actually picking people from D.C., they're generally yeah. the cleaners. Right. They're, they're, they're not the people in power. Actually, have you been to Washington? Baltimore, but not Washington. Okay. Not a bad place to visit in terms of American places to visit. I never want to go back to America at all. But in the scheme of things, if you had to go, it's not a bad place. Some interesting um, where's, public... Where's the aeronautical or space museum? Yes, I think... Mm, can't remember if that was in Washington or not. That was Washington or Baltimore, I can't remember, because my grandfather used to live in Baltimore. Right. So we flew into BWI years ago, my brother and I as unaccompanied minors. And my, my grandfather met us at the gate, walked us to customs and immigration, says to the customs guy, it's all right, the ambassadors asked me to take these young gentlemen through and walks us straight through customs and immigration. Was that bullshit? Of course. Right. He, he, had, an, he had a very put-on English accent. He drove oh, yeah. in a Rolls-Royce, a second-hand Rolls-Royce, and he called himself Lord Bennett. And he, he just took the Americans for everything that he could. He was a shyster. Fantastic story, Joe. Yeah. I don't know you get away with it this day and age, but back in the 80s. Washington's, Washington, Allison says, Washington was very interesting. Saw a deer in a residential street and lots of squirrels. You can see deer in Brisbane streets, Allison. There's lots of, it's a big deer problem over at sort of the northwest, western suburbs. Really? Around, yeah, around Jindalee, Jambury Heights, around there. See, I digress on this podcast, but I know a guy who was a former SAS guy. And one of his jobs was to occasionally shoot problem deer and there was a deer that was lurking on the tracks at Clayfield the railway tracks so one day he had to go out in the middle of the morning mm -hmm. and just sit there and wait and, and shoot a deer that was a job he had he also took the broncos out to find uh, sort of on hikes out into Binnaburra and made them live rough and it was amazing when, when, the, uh, when the front rowers cried when they had to kill the chickens they were looking after in order to eat them. Yeah, I had a similar experience going out bunny hunting. We went ferreting. Yeah. And this tough young lad who was one of our next-door neighbours was all upset that we were going to kill this poor little bunny rabbit. Yeah. Being a chicken strangler, mm -hmm. which is the nickname for the SAS guys, he had no problem strangling chickens. And he was, it's strange, that. It's strange. Yeah, he just thought it was amazing that these big, tough front row forwards hesitated in killing chickens when they were, it was, that was all they were going to have for dinner. 
I don't think the Broncos do that anymore. That's a while ago now. But full of stories, those guys. Mm. Anyway, this time Trump is facing charges relating to the January 6th incident. And in particular, the aftermath of it and his actions in trying to have the election overturned, counting delayed, and basically objecting to the legitimate counting of the electoral result. It sounds like he's in a world of trouble with that one and unlikely to escape. Yeah, I saw a lawyer going through it saying it's a bit how much trouble he'll get in is is debatable. Mm -hmm. But certainly there's a lot of there's enough evidence to think there's a chance of a conviction. Yeah. It's not a groundless case. No, well, what I was reading was a pretty pretty strong. I listen to occasionally opening arguments as a podcast. Is that still going? It's, yeah, it is. Yeah, despite their big bust up. Mm -hmm. I mean, the lawyer is still running that one. So Okay. Yeah. Interestingly on this one, Joe, the Trump case has been assigned to US District Judge Tanya Chutkin. And Chutkin, an Obama appointee, is the only federal judge in Washington who has sentenced January 6 defendants to sentences longer than the government had requested. So she's not a Trump judge at all. That's what gives me real confidence that he's in real trouble this time, is he's got the I, wrong only, judge. Only if he's found guilty. Hmm. Obviously, the judge does the sentencing, the jury hmm. decides on guilt. Yes. So, assuming you get a jury to convict, then yes. Mm. He's moving, he's asked for the judge to recuse themselves because he says there's no way he'll get a fair trial. Mm. And DeSantis has said he's moving that any defendant has the right to move there. If he becomes president, he'll make a law that says you can be tried in your home state rather than in D.C. Yes, because DC is a cesspool of yes. some sort. Mm. In other words, it leads Democrat. Yes. All true. Mm. We'll see where it ends up. And is apparently Trump's lawyer has been on TV a number of times and dropped him further in the shit. <laughs> by saying, well, of course he broke the law, but that's okay. He's allowed to. Yes, effectively. He has immunity from everything. I yes. think it's the latest... The latest offence is a new concept of just total immunity for former presidents. Well, first of all, it's his First Amendment. Yeah. So, so, and as someone was saying, I can't remember who it was, he was interviewed, said, well, every crime has the freedom of speech. It doesn't mean that you can commit fraud just because you're expressing your freedom of speech. Mm. So, sure, his speech was protected, but he was committing a fraud. Mm. Uh, and interestingly enough, Pence sounds like he is going to provide or be a witness for the prosecution. Mm. Uh, and there's some very damning evidence coming out of Pence's mouth, stating, yep. stating that Trump knew that he'd lost and still went on to ask for various, yeah, to find more votes and to do other fraudulent things. I think Trump's only chance is an argument where he says, my lawyers told me it was okay to say this, mm -hmm. but in the indictment, they've already shown plenty of other well-placed people told him, you cannot do this. Mm -hmm. It's illegal. It doesn't matter what these nutcases are saying. It's yeah. just not legal to do what you're going to do. So... That's his only chance, I think, is if he can run that argument. And it's interesting about Pence because, obviously, Trump set the lynch mob after Pence. Mm. Uh, you, you know that they had a set of gallows and that they, it, it looks very likely that they were intent on hanging Pence on January the 6th. Yes. If they were able to get hold of him. Yes, because he hadn't done what the Fuhrer had yeah, demanded. Exactly. There's a fictional work out, I'm going to buy it, about the 
breakup of the Union and the Civil War, kind of a dystopian, futuristic type of novel. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that'll be one of the first fiction pieces I've bought for a while. Right. I think I'm going to get that one. The last one I bought was Margaret Atwood with her stuff, just mm-hmm. always dystopian, religious stuff. Mm. Right. Well, it just wouldn't be a podcast lately, Joe, if we didn't have a poll about The Voice. You've all wanted to talk about The Voice. Oh, in the chat room. Let me see. Alison's also got foxes. And Julia has heaps of deer in Pullen Vale. And Landon's making bad puns. And so is Joel. Right. Another poll on The Voice, this time from Essential. Dear listener, you might remember when we were first doing polls, well, when we were first doing polls, we were doing polls six years ago on this. I've been trawling through all old episodes and finding stuff. We were talking about The Voice back in episode three. We were talking about this a long time. In more recent And it's still a bad idea. Yes. Funnily enough, as I was listening to my arguments in episode three, they sounded unerringly like what they are now. Where was I going with this? Yeah. In recent 12 months, 18 months, since it was declared there was going to be a referendum, initially the yes vote had a sort of a strong lead in essential poll. It dipped a little bit, came back, but then a number of the other polls, news poll and resolve and other ones, started to show some really bad results in terms of bad results for the yes voters. And now there's another one from the latest one from Essential. So this is the poll that has previously been quite favourable for a yes vote. It is now showing not so great. So in July, the yes vote was 47% and the no was 43%. And in the latest essential poll, that is reversed. So the yes vote has dropped to 43, the no to 47. That's in the overall vote in Australia. And I'll just give you the no votes in the different, well, I'll give you the different states. 47, New South Wales, 47% no, 41 yes. Victoria is the only state that seems to be in favour of a yes vote, and that's by 1%, by 47 to 46 Queensland, 51 to 40, saying no. South Australia, 48 to 45, saying no. Western Australia, 48 to 39, saying no. There we go. It's really... Joe, you wouldn't want much money on a yes vote getting up. It's not looking... I don't think so. Mm. So, So that's where that stands. But we still have to talk about the... And apparently Albanese has said there won't be a second chance. If it doesn't get up, he's not going to put it up again. Yeah, I think he made the comparison with the Republican vote. Mm -hmm. He said, well, once that failed, it was off the agenda for quite a while and still is. And I think that's probably a fair call. Fair enough. A fair call. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So, So I... Dear listener, yeah, back in episode three, we were talking about it because, and I think I might put the clip from episode three at the end of tonight's episode when we've finished. I think I'll tack it onto the audio if you want to hear how we were talking about this nearly eight years ago. Yeah. Because at that time, Noel Pearson had been on a Q&A episode and had proposed this idea. And Scott was a bit, hmm. Don't know if that's a good idea. I was a definite, I don't think it's a good idea. Scott was saying, this seems to be quite divisive rather than uniting us. And I was going, yeah, that's right. Anyway, my son came across, for some reason he was looking at episode 99. I don't know what reason why. I can assure you he's got lots of better things to do than to trawl through old episodes of this podcast. But for whatever reason, he was listening to episode 99. So I'm going to play a bit of that one now. It goes for about five minutes, give my voice a rest. And not only does it just give our initial impressions at that time, so what was that six years ago, 
But also, it then moves on to a discussion about Noel Pearson and the foul mouth of Noel Pearson. So, dear listener, language warning in the extreme at this point. If you've got young kitties who are nearby, you do not want them listening to the next five minutes and 47 seconds of this podcast, particularly the last half of it. So definitely keep them away from from some of this. So here's an excerpt from episode 99 to demonstrate it's been on this topic a long time and just some of the nuggets of gold that are there in the back catalogue for you to enjoy. Here we go. Uluru statement, right-wing Tony and I had a bit of a discussion about constitutional changes that the Aboriginal are looking for. And um, And I don't know where I stand on that anymore, but I do think that uh, asking for a representative body is is probably a step too far. Mm. And I think that uh, that won't fly. I don't think that'll fly with the public. Well, here we go. They've asked the public... According to Essential Report, they said last week the Uluru Statement was released calling for a number of policy measures relating to Indigenous Australians. Do you support or oppose the following measures? And they've listed four different ones there, enshrining an Indigenous voice to Parliament in the Constitution, negotiating a treaty, creating a treaty commission, creating a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. On all of those things, more people were in favour of it than were against which surprises is that right? Yes. So there's a high level of support for people for any of the four options, which scares the bejesus out of me, Scott. And it, it does scare me too. And I know that some of our more left-wing listeners will accuse me of racism when I say this, but I do think that we should, as a nation, concentrate on what unites us rather than what divides us. Mm. And I do think that if we create a, if we create a separate body within the parliament just for indigenous people, then that'll be concentrating on more what, what divides us than what unites us. Mm. As well as being racist in that certain people, depending on their, it is racist. Yeah. On their genealogy will be entitled to certain benefits, which isn't a good Mm. idea. The other reason that it scares me, Scott, is that Noel Pearson could be well one of those people who gets elected to that position. And dear listener, language warning coming up, because we are referring to, we are going to quote Noel Pearson and, and, and this guy. It could get a little blue, yeah. Swears <laughs> like nobody else. And this article is about how much he swears. So turn the volume down if there are any children in the vicinity. And if you don't like swearing, maybe fast forward about five minutes to the next item. So, um, <laughs> so last year, November 25th, where there was a meeting of constitutional, you know, the usual suspects all at a meeting and at it, Noel Pearson put up his proposal and basically got feedback from the prime minister and others that it wasn't going to fly. And after the meeting, Pearson verbally assaults prime minister Turnbull and there are various witnesses to it. And Liberal MP Warren Ench was not at the meeting, but said he's been told by witnesses of what was said. And there are other people who are also seemingly able to confirm statements. But basically, this, this people have the impression, oh, okay, let's allow the Aboriginal voice into our parliament and it'll all be reasonable and they'll do the right thing. And if Noel Pearson is one of them, then he might well stand up with points. So at some point, and he used language like this, he's alleged to have called, let me just get this straight here. In the, Malcolm uh, Turnbull. Yeah. He, t- he called Malcolm Turnbull a white cunt. He called Indigenous Minister Ken Wyatt a black cunt. Indigenous Labor Senator Pat Dodson a fucking black cunt. <laughs> he just, at least he was non-discriminatory in his language. Like he, he well, went for true, everybody. Yeah. He just has <laughs> got the foulest language. And this is the, this is one of the, the most eminent leaders of the Aboriginal community. And exactly. he just goes and around racially abusing people. Well, this is the best they've the got to I'm, offer. This is the thing that I found absolutely disgusting was that whether you like him or love him or loathe him, he is the prime minister. 
Mm. And he deserves a lot more respect than being described as a white cunt. Yes. <laughs> you know, it is a... Oh, it's, it's not a one-off event. Last year, Queensland Department of Education Director General Jim Watterson claimed in a letter to Pearson that he'd been abused and that he had abused and intimidated department staff, calling some arse-coverer, maggot, and bucket of shit. Last year, Pearson denied he had abused Queensland Minister of Education Kate Jones, calling her a fucking white cunt. Yeah. Miss Jones stands by the claims. He talks of racism and bigotry. You can't talk with a degree of piousness. Hear yourself are prepared to stoop to using racist terms. He's an awful man. And this is one of the characters who could well be lobbed into Parliament as part of the... There we go. Last from the past. Joe, you managed to latch onto the last part of that from your yeah, phone because yeah. you weren't getting the audio for some strange reason. Yeah. Ah, here we go. Oh, I have to say I agree with him on Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> well, you shouldn't be on The Voice either, Joe. I mean, after all, it's not the first time a politician has implied similar things about another politician. Yeah. Mind you, mm -hmm. it's pretty racist language. So, well, uh, Highlighting somebody's colour, yes. Yes. It's quite funny. I've used the term black fella in front of English friends and they've been shocked. Mm. And yet I don't think it has a pejorative meaning over here. I think it might be one of those words where if indigenous people use it. Then it's not racist. It's okay. Is it a bit like the N-word where only... Only... I, I, I don't know that it's ever been used mm. as an epithet, as, as an insult. Yeah. Don't know where the current boundary lines are on that one. I don't think I'd use it. I think I'd tread away from that one. It, it's yeah. like using the term mob. Yes, I think mob's okay. But, but again, I've had yeah. English yeah. friends go, what? You can't call a tribe a mob. And it's like, mm. that that's the the pigeon English, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, it's, it's interesting. People's sensibilities around language. Yeah. Dear listener, I was going to launch into a bit of a spam point about... Can grievance be inherited? Also looking at, well, is everybody disadvantaged in the Indigenous community or is it only some? We got here first, therefore we have more rights than you. Rights can be transferred through ancestry, a bit like noble Englishmen can. Is Indigenous decision-making democratic? Are there class divisions in Indigenous communities? Are inherited privileges fair? Is identity politics divisive? Where does Martin Luther King fit in all of this stuff? But you know what? I've already done it. Episode 213. Just go and listen to it. I did it with the 12th man. Mm -hmm. And Scott was missing again. Scott had some sort of internet problem. I don't know what he had on, but... It's unreliable. But God, I, I don't know. Yeah, just can't get the staff. He's gone. I think he'd gone walkabout. I, I think you should slash his pay. Yeah. It's all there. Episode 213. Just all of the, the hard, rational, shy, unemotional arguments. The Mr. Spock approach to this whole thing is there in episode 213. Did it with the 12th man. As you know, dear listener, the 12th man and I sort of fell out eventually over different things, mostly to do with COVID, and that was not unusual. Like lots of people fell out with people over COVID, didn't they? And we were just, that was, you know, we were, we were in that situation. But on Indigenous matters, we're pretty much 
of the same mind of, on most things and still are, I would think. So, so yeah, if you missed the 12th man's voice and you want to hear those arguments, then episode 213 is there. Go and listen to it. I thought what I might do is just, oh, in the chat room, Bronman says, read your audio clip. It sounded to me like you were talking about the voice as a possible third chamber of parliament. That's not what we are considering now, of course. I think at the time we weren't quite sure, uh, Bronman, where it was going to be. Like that was four years ago, episode 99, six years ago. Anyway, yeah, bear in mind that it's sort of a bit of ancient times that we were talking about it there. So I thought I'd, I've been keeping a collection of things that people have been saying, and I, I think for the remaining 16 minutes, I might just run through some of them and just through some thoughts that I had and see if it promotes any thinking with you, dear listener. So, Joe, I got one here. So this is just sort of ideas that I, I wrote mm-hmm. down at different times. Can the yes promoters give a single example of an idea that will be tried or raised because of the voice that hasn't already? Just one positive initiative. I'm genuinely Mm. can't, I, I hear the argument that if we are listening to the voice, then we will get more information. We will get what people, what indigenous people want rather than what white people impose. And I'm yet to hear an example of, for example, if only there'd been the voice, we would have had this program in place or that program in place. Or we wouldn't have had. Yes. So if somebody could tell me that sort of thing, I would be interested to know. The only thing I can think of is what that education lady was saying about Indigenous education last week as the only example of what she would like to institute I, if a voice is around. I, I wonder whether the Northern Territory intervention would have happened. Mm-hmm. Had there been mm. a voice. Mm. But but again, I, I think the community was divided. I think there were some people that thought it needed to happen. Mm. Yeah. Shaysa also said that. Mm-hmm. The intervention. Here's another one. Like... If we had an Indigenous Prime Minister, would we need the voice? I mean, As, it's all about r- people not listening to us, not being heard. If the actual I'm, Prime Minister was Indigenous, would that satisfy that requirement? I was going to say, did, we, did women feel heard when Julie Gillard was Prime Minister? Hmm. Just a thought out there. If you, if If the argument is that Indigenous voices are not heard. If, for example, there was an Indigenous Prime Minister, would that satisfy that need to be heard? Joel is saying the cashless welfare card, but I think I think that was class warfare rather than coloured warfare. Mm. And the cashless card, what did Indigenous people say about that? I mean, there would have been a mixed review on that card. I would Probably. Have I don't know. It would have been hard to get an agreement on that card, I would have thought. I think the majority of people thought it was a bad mm. move mm. because it, it had unforeseen consequences. Mm. For instance, you couldn't buy secondhand. You had to buy from a shop. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, it had more impact than was immediately obvious. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether having a black voice to parliament would have been any more beneficial than having white people who were equally affected by it. Mm -hmm. Just if there was an Indigenous Prime Minister, I mean, Barack Obama was a black president. Mm. Don't know that he did anything for black people in America that was particularly beneficial for them. he, He bombed Iraq? Yes. Can't think of too much that he did that was actually beneficial, in particular for black people in America. That but no, no, he happened. Was, he he was less shit than the previous president. Yes, wasn't it a pretty low bar? Yes. Yeah, I, I've always maintained that Obama was the best Republican president we've had in years. Mm. Yes. Well, Tony Blair was uh, the best conservative. Yes. Yes. 
And really, wasn't it Margaret Thatcher who said something like, you know, the best measure of her success was that she was succeeded by Tony Blair because yeah. she had transformed the Labor Party into her own image. So it didn't matter whether the Tories were in or not. Yeah, I mean, given that Kinnock, I think, was the previous Labor leader mm. and was very, very different. Mm. I guess the point I'm making here is if you get people in who represent the identity group that you are worried about, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that they actually do for the identity group what you might hope they would do, which is counterproductive to the, you know, I wasn't really running an argument. I was just sort of asking if there was an Indigenous Prime Minister, would that satisfy you? These are thought experiments for you to argue about in the chat room. I can see from and furiously typing, it probably show as well. I guess it might depend if the Indigenous PM was the right sort of Indigenous man or not. Again, yeah. to find the right sort. Yes. In Britain, just recently, I remember seeing an example where gender and skin colour rank beneath economic philosophy when it comes to good decision-making. So there was a minister for women and equalities. She was female. And she was arguing that wanting women to be supported through menopause in the workplace was a left-wing idea. So it was a Tory MP female who was arguing against menopause leave and things like that for women. So just because you get somebody in who is on the face of it part of your identity group doesn't mean they'll actually do things for your identity group. Well, isn't it Javid, whatever her name is? Mm -hmm who is, I believe, of Indian heritage, who is anti-immigration. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, it's like hanging your parents were immigrants yes. and now you're anti-immigrant. Funnily enough, if you happen to be in the billionaire class, you generally do support billionaire policies. Mm -hmm. yeah. Strange that. Yeah. And, of course, Rishi Sunak, whose yeah. wife is the daughter of India's... Infosys. Infosys? One of the huge tech companies in India. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Let me scroll through some things. Some of the people I followed on Twitter who I would normally agree with on things. Emergency bushfire kits. If you think the voice will be racist, please detail which inequality you will suffer what discrimination you'll experience and which of your rights will be oppressed by First Nations people having a voice on issues that specifically affect First Nations people. So... But they aren't asking for a voice that merely speaks on issues that overly affects Indigenous people. They're asking for the ability to comment on all laws, aren't they? So presumably, so far as they affect, in in the way that all laws, in the way affect that they people. might affect Indigenous people, is what they're being asked to do. But let me read a definition of racism from Wikipedia. Racism is the belief in the superiority of one race over another. It may also include prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against other people because they are of a different race or ethnicity. Or the belief that members of different races or ethnicities should be treated differently. Modern variants of racism are often based in social perceptions of biological differences between peoples. These views can take the form of social actions, practices or beliefs or political systems in which different races are ranked as inherently superior or inferior to each other based on presumed shared inheritable traits, abilities or qualities. The essential part of all that is... The belief that members of different races or ethnicities should be treated differently. That's racism. And But racism's and is, okay as long as you're helping the people. Yeah, well, this is the point. Because somebody has suffered racial prejudice, implementing a racist policy to overturn the outcome of prior racial prejudice is a racist policy. Well-meaning, though, it may well be. And somebody who objects to the implementation of a racist policy to, you know, to overturn a previous unjust result, that doesn't make them racist. Not agreeing to affirmative action 
doesn't make you racist. In fact, you are the opposite. The people who are wanting the racist policy are being racist, well-meaning, well-intentioned, with all the goodwill in the world for a result that is well-meaning. Racism requires power, and the black people don't have power, therefore they can't be racist. Well, it doesn't require power because the most powerless person in the world can make a racist statement to anybody or treat somebody. You can be a... You don't need power to be racist. Well, this is not what they're arguing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I find that... I find, dear listener, I was listening to the 7am podcast today, Schwartz Media, where this lady got on and... She was talking about Peter Dutton adopting the Martin Luther King statement. You know the one. Judge people by the content of their character, not by the colour of their skin. And she was saying it is ridiculous for Peter Dutton to be using that argument in the context of the voice. And look, Peter Dutton's a crummy guy and his motivations in this are not good. And But even a stopped clock... <laughs> Even a stop clock is correct twice. What infuriated me was she just said it's ridiculous to use that statement in this context. And it's not ridiculous. It's actually a really appropriate time to use it. And she was also, she was also trying to argue that Martin Luther King would have been in favour of racist affirmative action. And that was not what Martin Luther King was about. He was, in fact, about just equal rights for everybody. And in fact, as we've mentioned on multiple occasions, dear listener, on this podcast, he was about class. And he spent a lot of time talking about gathering in and drawing in the poor working class in the same fight for better conditions and, and equality, both rights and financial. And This woman was just rewriting Martin Luther King history. As we previously discussed in this podcast, in the early days, I I argued that Malcolm X was in fact arguing for a race-based response to issues. But even in his later days, he also converted to a class-based argument. So really super annoyed me. I'm almost tempted next week to play the 7am podcast and just and just really I'm finding that the argument for the yes vote when criticizing the no vote just says things like it's not racist it's the no vote is ridiculous but doesn't actually examine the points that are up for discussion doesn't try to pass the arguments dig into it and really talk about whether it is or isn't, just saying stuff doesn't make it so. You have to explain it and justify it. So, And you also found that article that was reasons why we should say yes to a voice mm-hmm. but then proceeded to come up with a whole bunch of arguments that just didn't explain why we needed a voice and how a voice would have fixed any of those things. Yes. So, Did uh, I? Yeah, yeah. Did I? yeah. I've got is, so many articles, I've lost track of them, Joe. But yeah, I'm reading it going, is this honestly your best argument? Yeah, really poor arguments. Dare I delve into the chat room here? No. no. <laughs> it's there for posterity. I'll let you guys argue amongst yourselves for a little bit there. Here's one. Ipsy Dixit tweet. I'm Jewish. Most of my family died in concentration camps or ghettos. Jews were treated as second-class citizens. Now we have a voice. Everyone deserves a voice. I am voting yes. Indigenous people have a voice. It's called a vote. As much as the Jews do, yes. It's called a vote in Parliament. There are 11 representatives that we know of in federal Parliament who are Indigenous. If the whole point of being a member of parliament is that you represent your constituency, whether that be mm-hmm. at a geographical district level or whether that be at a gender level or whether that be at a sexual preference level or 
you bring into the parliament your experience in life and and represent people that you know from your life experience what what are these 11 people doing if they're not in the cabinet and in the shadow cabinet and expressing the views of their constituents who well, would one of them senator price so we know the answer yeah it's you know, you would read these comments as if Indigenous people didn't have a vote. Honestly, if you were coming from the outside, fresh into the debate, mm-hmm. with no knowledge of what has gone on, say you'd grown up in Colombia or something and you popped in here and you go, oh, it's terrible. Indigenous people don't have a vote. We've got to fix that. That's how you would think if you were reading these comments. Ah... What have we got here? I mean, Jewish people obviously have Israel. Mm. How's, which, that, how's that working out with keeping the vision there? Well, of course, they were promised the land by God. But then the Palestinians believed they were there first. Mm. And there seems to be a bit of tension there. Yeah. Yeah. But surely it's, if you... Got there first, that counts. Well, special rights, not. special ancestral rights. I mean, not, the not according English to nobility own all that land and just pass it down from duke to duke. That's all good. We don't look at that and complain. I, I watched the Imperial War Museum documentary on the Troubles in Northern Ireland, and of course, that goes back 400 years. Mm. Uh, and so, obviously, even 400 years on after a colonization the the protestant north effectively were protestants from scotland so Mm -hmm. they they certainly feel after 400 years they are members of the land that that is their home and the unionists sorry the uh, nationalists think that they're still invaders after 400 years but then you go back and Britain was an Anglo-Saxon land that was invaded by the Normans in 1066. But prior to that, the Anglo-Saxons, well, the Angles and the Saxons were invaders from Germany and pushed mm. the Celts out. So should the are you, Celts... Are you saying that we were here first is not a good argument, Joe? Well, I'm, I'm saying should the Celts be demanding reparations from the Angles and the Saxons? This is the point, dear listener. If your argument is that they were here first... It'd be like if we said to boat people, well, we don't really want you here, but you can come in. By the way, there's certain representative bodies that you'll never be entitled to be a part of because you, because you weren't here first. Now, we don't do that because we are compassionate towards boat people when they get in, or we should be, and say, well, once you're in, you're a full citizen. You've got all the rights of everybody else. Assimilate. We're all in this together. There's no hierarchy. It's not a good system of social structure to reserve special rights for people who are here first or were descended from people who are here first. And in places where they're attempting to... At, at what point do you give in and say, okay... We're all one now. We've mixed. We're done. It's over. At what point? I I think the answer is we need a war. Right. That'll bring us together. It's it's amazing how unifying a war is for a nation. Yeah. I I do mean that kind of tongue-in-cheek about (laughs) needing a war, but... After the war, people just argue about the same stuff anyway, don't they? Like, America's been at war. America's been at war. What are you talking about? America's been at war for its entire history. And they're more divided than yeah, ever, they're, Joe. They're, they're, they're foreign wars, though. They're not ah, threats you need to one their on extension. Your, you need yeah. one on your home soil, a Absolutely. true existential threat to bring you together. Mm. Uh, and maybe I not war, bushfire, tsunami. There is something about a adversity mm. that makes people forget about the differences and work together. Yeah. I think, I think it has, I think it wears off. 
uh, Andrew says those emus have it coming. It's like, we lost the first time around. We're not going for a second round. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, where are we? Look, if you're going to write me a nasty email, just listen to episode 213 first off. A lot of sorts of things that I've just sort of skimmed over have been examined more in detail there, more justification for the flippant ranting that I've done at this point. But, but it does boil down to we were here first is not a good argument. Inherited ancestral rights are not good. As a lefty, I'm looking at taxing inherited property rights like they shouldn't be passed on forever and ever. There's got to be a redistribution. Grievance is not inherited if you didn't suffer it yourself. My father was a prisoner of war against the Japanese. I do not inherit his grievance against the Japanese. Doesn't work that way. There's a whole range of just concepts that are accepted here in this argument that are not accepted if you think about it rationally and apply it in other circumstances. But that's often the case. Special pleading always comes out, doesn't it? Yeah. Part of it is this empathy thing. I was reading a book. There is a book by Paul Bloom about empathy. I've got it here, which was really, they do these experiments where they say to people, I think there was one where they, a, a girl who has a terminal illness or something, cancer, Put yourself in her shoes. Think of her position. Think of her family. Think of the final week she's got left. Think of the sadness in the family. Immerse yourself in the, in the feelings that she and her family would have. Now, uh, the hospital has to make a decision about waiting lists and do you put this girl at the front of the list or not. And, of course, people who had done that empathetic immersion mm-hmm. said... Of course she goes to the front. Meanwhile, of course, there's a whole bunch of other people who therefore are then pushed back when this girl gets to the front. And the control group who weren't imbued with, who weren't told, immerse yourself in an empathetic feeling for this girl, but just think about this and what's the right thing to do, would come to a different conclusion. And I think there is a lot of that happening where people feel that there's been terrible things done, terrible suffering has happened in the past that needs to be rectified, and this is the only way to do it. And this will assuage white guilt. It might assuage white guilt. I don't think it'll fix things, and I don't think it will assuage the people who are feeling hard done by. Mm. Yeah. Talking about the whole empathy thing, there have been lots of cases with drugs that are either incredibly expensive, where there's been a political push to get these drugs, you know, specialist cancer drugs for people who are terminally ill, mm-hmm. funded, and they're like, yeah, 100000 a year or something, and they're going, we could treat one person with maybe a 20% chance it'll help them, or we can fund, you know, 100 people with something that we know cures them. Yes. And with limited resources, you have to prioritize. And the other one was in America, they now have a right to try law, where if you're terminal and none of the medications have worked, you have the right to try. um, Something that's not FDA approved or whatever. Which allows them to bypass Mm. all these approval process and sneak Mm. in the back door effectively. Mm. Yeah. So there we go. The chat room has been busy. I hope it's still been quite civil in there. I think it has been. I think you're pretty good in there that even if you disagree, then... There might be some light-hearted teasing, but... Yes, I think generally pretty good. One of the things I'm proud of in this podcast, Joe, Mm -hmm. is the chat room has a good mix of male and female and is generally civil. Yeah, I I think we can agree to disagree on many things. Yes. Full marks to the chat room for your civil commentary. Well, an hour and ten of, there's only so much you can do with this 
Indigenous stuff. But yeah, I do recommend episode 213. It's quite well laid out, I think. Have a listen to that. And we will talk again. <laughs> yes, Don, you get gold stars. Right. I think now next week, we were this week, we're supposed to have Liam and Scott arguing over the Greens, but Scott had internet issues and Liam coincidentally had another engagement. So fingers crossed, dear listener. Next week, we will have Scott and Liam debating the Greens. That'll be fun. Hey, you providing boxing loves? Well, Liam's in Brisbane. Scott's in Rockhampton. Uzbekistan, somewhere. Yeah. yeah, I think we'll be fine. How's that counteroffensive in the Ukraine going, Joe? They... Apparently there has been a breakthrough. <laughs> Please, no. Right. You're kidding. What? Seriously? Yeah, seriously. There, there a, Ukrainian a, break, a Ukrainian breakthrough? Yeah, there's been a Ukrainian breakthrough. We'll talk about that next week. Be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Shay says she will sub in if Scott's internet stuff's up. Good on you, Shay. You're always welcome back. All right. We'll be back next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye for now. All right. Well, it's a good night from me. And it's a good night from him. Good night. <laughs>